Okay, guys, go ahead and grab your seats if you're not already seated. Yes. <laughs> hey, uh, just a few quick announcements uh, for y'all. Uh, if you want to continue these conversations that you were having just now, you can do that after the service downstairs in the fellowship hall. So, yeah, there we go. Uh, there's coffee down there afterwards. It's a great place to meet uh, some of these people, to hang out with them. And uh, if you're new, that may sound really scary, but I promise you none of these people bite, although our children do sometimes. Uh, but they're very welcoming. It would be a great place for you to connect, uh, connect with some of these guys. Uh, You'll notice in the pew in front of you, there's a little bookmark with a QR code on it. If you want to find out more about who we are as a congregation, you want to sign up for email newsletter, get details about events, you can scan that QR code and get any of that information there. So just want to give you the chance to do that uh, if you're looking to connect a little bit more. And then just a few things that we have coming up. Tomorrow night is our next U35 event. Yes, Allie is the woo girl up here, which I'm very thankful for. Uh, so we've talked about U35 as this thing we started this semester. If you are under or around the age of 35, it's a soft 35, uh, and you have time to connect with other people, maybe like you don't have kids and you're looking to make more friends, uh, this is for you. So uh, last week or last month we went and did trivia at Eastside Bowl, and we decided we would give them a break because we swept the trivia and are just going to be bowling this week instead. So we'd love to see you there uh, tomorrow night at 6.30. Uh, so that's, that's that. And then you guys also need to know if you are involved in KidTown, we have three KidTown trainings happening this semester, and it is mandatory. Woohoo, yeah, for KidTown training, right? And it is mandatory that you go to one of them. They are required. Uh, and the reason for that is that we want to create a safe and welcoming environment for our kids. And so you guys knowing what those safety protocols are and feeling equipped as KidTown volunteers is really important. Liv has worked on it uh, really hard, and it's... Uh, she gave me a little preview. It's very fun, very engaging, and there are prizes and gifts involved. So I would encourage you to go. The first one is today after the service at 11. So if you or one of, if you're, uh, if you're married, one of you wants to come today, one of you come to the one in April, that's great. Just encourage you, you're welcome to come to the Kid Town training today at 11, even if you aren't signed up. And then uh, finally, as you look around, you may notice that it is getting a little bit crowded in here, uh, which is Pretty exciting. And there's this thing in, I don't know if it's the church world, I think it's just in the world, it's called the 80-20 rule. That whenever a space gets 80% of the way full, uh, it starts to feel like it is 100% of the way full. And so people might come in and think, oh, there's no space for me here. And one of the things we've talked about as a congregation is we want to be a place that is consistently welcoming for new people. And that's true about how we interact with each other, with people who are new. It's true about the way that we greet. It's true about the events that we do. And it also needs to be true about our physical space. So I just want you to know that we are looking for uh, a place that we could grow into as a congregation. And would invite you to be praying about that uh, with us and for for not only this place, but for our community. That we're committed to being a church in East Nashville, of East Nashville, and for East Nashville, which means having the space uh, for people to come and join us. So, uh, yeah, those are, those are our announcements this morning. I'm going to invite Brandon Coughlin to come up. Brandon is our reader, <coughs> and he's going to, uh, well, he's a reader, so he's going to read is what he's going to do. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis. We're in Genesis 2. So we finally, after many weeks, made up Genesis 1. We're in the beginning of Genesis 2. Uh, and it'll be up on the screen. You can follow along.
Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Hey, Brandon, that's pretty sure. Will you just read it again? Yeah. Just give us a chance to soak it in, okay? Thus the heavens, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Will you read No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me pray for us. And Father, we, uh, we're thankful for your word, and ask that even this morning as we uh, come before you, uh, that you would be slowing down our hearts and our minds, or that you'd slow us down enough to hear from you. Uh, Lord, we, we are here expectant that you are speaking to us, uh, not hoping, not crossing our fingers for it, but knowing that when we open your word by your Holy Spirit, you bring us life, uh, and we need it. We pray that you would do that for us this morning in Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, so there's this, <clears throat> there's this Saturday, Saturday Night Live skit where a bunch, of, a bunch of people walk into a sleep doctor's office. And they're all telling the sleep doctor, uh, well, uh, obvious, it's obvious, we're, we can't sleep. We're having trouble sleeping. That's why we're here to see you. How, can you help us sleep better? And he kind of gets into it. He's asking them about, you know, their patterns and, and, and what's going on. And he tells them, oh, you know what? Here's what you can all do. It's very easy. Just stop using your phone uh, an hour before you go to sleep, and you'll be able to go to sleep. And everyone says, oh, that's really interesting, but can you just give us a pill, maybe? <laughs> or, like, is there a surgery you could do? Could you, like, reconstruct my nose? Because the hour before, that's just too much. And he's like, well, it doesn't even have to be an hour. You could do 30 minutes. Everyone's like, ah, it's like 15 minutes. And people are like, I can't do it. I would rather you chop off my arm. I, like, I can't, I can't do it. And that's, that is how this kid hits, right? Uh, that for us, is, it, it's telling us something about how we as people engage uh, with our phones and also how we engage uh, with the things that we know that we need in our lives. That so often there are things that are right in front of us, things that we would say, oh, I know this is good for me. I know that I need it. And yet it's the very thing I'm saying no to. And I think for, for most of us, for all of us in some way, that is true about our relationship with rest, isn't it? This is the point where I look at my notes and I give you lots of facts about how Americans are bad at resting. But you don't need me to do that because you already know that, right? How many of you could use a little bit more rest in your life? Okay, I'm pretty sure a few of you are getting that rest now because your hands were up. But that's okay, right? We all, we all want that and need that in our lives. And yet, it's the very thing that we struggle to do. The answer to needing more rest is, well, then why don't you go ahead and rest? It's like, well, can you give me a pill or a surgery? I'd rather cut off my arm. And when we come, the scripture that we're coming to this morning, it is an invitation to us to step into rest. And I will tell you, uh, man, it is an invitation that I need just as much as you that even this week in preparing the sermon is so convicting for me. Even last night, guys, I went 
I had to apologize to my wife last night because I went throughout my day yesterday so angry about all of the work that I needed to get to at the end of the day that I couldn't get to earlier. We were we're still kind of in the midst of potty training. So were these, there were these windows of time where I was expecting to get stuff done, and it didn't happen. Spoiler alert. It was so hard for me. So here I am, angry at my family ab about the fact that I have work that I am trying to get to at the end of today about rest, and I can't rest! And into the midst of our lives, those lives that we are living where we desperately need rest, God is speaking to us. So why, we, why we're preaching through Genesis is that understanding uh, how creation was designed to be helps us understand the world as it is now. It helps us see the places that it's broken, and it helps us understand what it means for the gospel to restore our lives and our world. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. God's creation, this gift of rest that he's given us. And then we're going to talk about how it's been uh, broken, how we lack it in our lives, and talk about what it means to have that rest restored, for us to live uh, in a restored rest that Jesus brings to us. So I'm going to read our scripture for us one more time. Thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. All throughout these verses, what we read is that our God is a God who rests. And the word for rest here, uh, if you're going to translate it literally, is the word for cease that God stopped. Not like a California rolling stop, stop, right? Like a stop, like a full stop, like a put it down, there's no more work, it's done, it's finished. Complete. That God accomplished what he intended to accomplish in his work of creation. And so he says, I'm, I can rest, it's finished. And there's a relief that comes when our work is done, isn't there? And exhale, oh, it's done, it's turned in. I think it makes me think of term papers in college, right? I hit send or slipped it under the door, and there's this relief, oh, it's finally finished. But in that situation, when, my, when that work is complete, what I was always hoping for is to never think about that paper again, right? That is not how God is thinking about creation. That when God exhales, oh, when, he's, when he, he's finished, when he steps back, he looks at his work and he enjoys it, is what the scriptures tell us. That God is satisfied in what he has created. That what God is doing on the seventh day is he is delighting in what he has created. It's more like the time that I, that I on my own, fixed the condenser in my car which is a very important thing in Nashville, right? I was driving around and my car was just constantly blowing hot air at me. And I thought, I'll just take it into the shop. And my cousin said, you don't have to do that. You can fix it yourself. Here is a very simple YouTube video. And I watched the video and I thought, I can do this myself. It took a lot more time than it took the guy in the YouTube video, okay? Uh, but when that work was finished, you better believe every time I got in my car and turned on the air conditioner, I, I delighted in the work that I had completed. 
It was a consistent reminder of the goodness of my work when that cold air blasted into my face. Honestly, I think it felt colder than it had for a long time. That is the kind of rest that God is participating in here. He's saying, look at what I've done. He is taking joy. He is enjoying his creation. And what that does is it teaches us about what rest is. That rest is, first and foremost, stopping. Stopping. Stop. That's a part of rest. You've got to stop. But as much as it is about stopping, it is also about starting something. And the thing that we start to do or the thing that we do once we stop is we stop and we enjoy. We appreciate, we take in, we behold beauty. In Exodus, uh, this is this, right? So we believe this is the same author from Genesis, Exodus. This is Moses writing. And what he writes about, this idea of God resting, it gets developed over the course of the first five books of the Old Testament. And it says at the end of Exodus 31 that God rested on the seventh day and he was refreshed. That God was refreshed. It doesn't mean that somehow God was spent and like out of energy and then he finds new energy. What it's telling us is that God is taking joy in what he has created and it's, it's filling up, it's a welling up of the life that is already inside of him. That is, that is the, the joy that we are being called into in rest. That we ourselves in our hearts would be Refreshed. The psalmist talks about that when he, when he says that, uh, that his youth would be renewed like the eagles. I have no idea what the connection between eagles and youth, but I can tell you that I want to have my youth renewed. That sense of refreshment that, 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 uh, that God experiences, I want to experience that. Do you want to experience that? Do you want to experience that? Yeah. That is what rest was created to be, that was, that was the rest that was created and given to us, was that kind of refreshing, soul-satisfying intake of beauty. Well, we got to ask, well, how do I get that? Well, we've got to recognize uh, that in the time between the, the creation of the seventh day and the world that we live in now, that this thing happened called the fall. And sin entered into this perfect world that God had created. And it broke everything. It broke our relationship with God. Or it broke our relationships with each other. It broke our relationships with ourselves. It broke our relationship to our work. And it broke our relationship to our rest. And so we live in a world whose relationship between work and rest is totally disfigured. And that what happens now and has been happening throughout human history is that rest is often discarded. And we see that in the very history of the people that we're reading about. That the Israelites, the people who are receiving uh, this, this description of God resting on the seventh day, they were receiving it just as they had escaped slavery, as God had just led them out of slavery. Which means that for the last 400 years of their history, they had never had a day off. That as a people, they were told and reminded every single day that the only thing that made them valuable is what they could produce. That that was the way that they thought about themselves, that they were trained to think about themselves from cradle to grave, generations trapped in this cycle of all day, every day, working for somebody else. 
that all of their value would come from what they produce. And in that world, there is no intrinsic value in resting. That any time that you have off is only time off that you are getting from the master who is trying to maximize your production later on. And not only were the Israelites coming out of a world who had a disfigured relationship with work and with rest, they were going into a culture where that was the, had the same problem. And this is, this is so hard for us to wrap our minds around because we have lived, we have spent our entire lives living in a world where the week includes a weekend. Okay, that wasn't true in the ancient Near East. There was no weekend. Yeah, people lived in cycles of weeks, but there was no regular day off built into the week. There was none of that. So you would wake up every day and think, here I go again. You couldn't work for the weekend because there wasn't a weekend. You couldn't look forward to Friday because there was no Friday. That's like I said, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around because even here on a Sunday morning, even if, if you drive around, right, the streets are quiet because there's this expectation of rest built into the rhythm of our world. That expectation did not exist. Remember, we talked about this last week, that the way that these ancient cultures understood even the purpose that they were created, they thought that we were created to serve the gods, to bring them food that they can't get for themselves, that our whole identity is about what we produce. This story was put into the middle of a culture that had an a, a warped, a distorted view of work and of rest. And it's a story that is coming into, even today, into the midst of a culture that has a disfigured relationship with rest. Isn't that true? There's a sociologist from the 1970s. His name is Gordon Dahl. And what he says about, about America, he says that uh, Americans worship their work, they work at their play, and they play at their worship. Americans worship their work, they work at their play, and they play at their worship. That was true in the 1970s, and it's true today, isn't it? That so often what is true about the way that we work is our, our work is this thing that we worship because it's a thing that we come to to find our identity. And that we find it nearly impossible to stop working. Constantly checking our emails, taking phone calls, thinking about our work. The, the idea of stopping itself feels impossible. And yet, most of us would look at that and say, we know that's not good. That we, we were fighting in our lives for the time when we aren't working. We're fighting for that space in our minds and in our hearts because we know that we don't want that kind of life. And yet, the time that we're fighting for away from our work often becomes its own type of work, right? That I stop answering my work emails so now I can finally get to all those personal emails I need to answer. That I stop managing the projects at work so I can come home and manage all the projects that, that, that are my life. I stop scheduling meetings at work to schedule babysitter time with my family so I can go and do the thing that I'm trying to schedule with my spouse. That this sense of work, it's always following us. And it's even true in the fact that we work at our play, isn't it? That the hobbies that we have for us become their own kind of work. Like I can tell you, 
Uh, the new F1 series, Drive to Survive, is about to come out, okay? Which you can all, I know you're eagerly anticipating the upcoming sermon illustrations from that. Don't worry, I'm sure they will exist. Ted Lasso is about to come out. The new season of Survivor is about to start. I have, wow, more enthusiasm for Survivor than anything else here, guys. I can tell that you have really let me disciple you in that over the course of several years. But I say all that to say, it is easy to look at even the lists of TV shows that we want to watch and look at all the work that we have to do, all the things we have to get through. Do you ever think about it like that? That it's true about all of the, the scrolling that we're doing. There's so much information that we have to take in to be the kind of people who are informed about our world, to know what am I supposed to be thinking and seeing and caring about and giving my heart to and being celebrating, being heartbroken about out in the world. There's a whole sense of burden and work that comes from constantly keeping up with those things. If I'm going to be the kind of person that I want to be. All of the self-improvement projects that we are layering on ourselves, whether it's our bodies or our mindsets, the burdens that we are heaping on ourselves and constantly laboring under, not to mention the way that we do that with religion. All of the things I feel like I have to do to make myself right and acceptable before God. And what that has led to is this kind of arms race in the rest industry. You just don't need a massage anymore. You can go to this place where you can float Right? We'll lock you into a pool of water for as long as you want to be locked there <laughs> so that you can rest. You don't just need to go on a silent retreat. Do you know you can go on a darkness retreat? Aaron Rodgers is going on a darkness retreat. But he's going on a darkness retreat not to rest, but because he needs to get some answers. He's working on himself. And I don't know much about the NFL, but I could already tell Aaron what the answer is. Just don't do it, Aaron. Just leave, right? That what we are always looking, what is the thing I can do that's finally going to get me the rest that I most desperately desire? And what Jesus says to that in the midst of that, he says, come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden and you will find rest for your souls, come to me. And that what he's exposing in us is that there is no amount of calendar maximizing we can do that is going to bring us the rest that we most deeply desire and desperately need. Because what we need is a rest for our souls. And it's a rest that can only be found in relationship. And what that tells us, it tells us about what it is that we're working for. That what you and I desperately desire is to be desired. To be found beautiful. There's author Kurt Thompson, he says it like this. He says, we long to be infinitely desired, wanted by the other, yet crucially without being consumed by the other. We desire to be desired. We desire to be found beautiful, for someone to believe that we are glorious, that we're something spectacular. And so we spend all of this time, all of this effort, all of this striving, proving to ourselves and to the people around us that we are worthy of the love that we deeply crave. Because what we know about beauty is that beauty is something that someone else has to see in us, that, that I want to be desired, which involves another person. It's something that can only be found in relationship. You can't self-identify as beautiful. Someone has to see you as beautiful. It's like, it's like being funny. Self-identifying as funny is worthless. 
I learned this at a comedy show that we went to a few months ago. We went to see Dusty Slay at Zany's, which is like, I was way out of our normal routine of life. And, and when he was doing his show, before he came on stage, there were several comedians who came before him, and there was one guy who got up there who I think was from East Nashville, and I, I couldn't laugh. Like, I, I, I know what it is like to be up in front of people and want them to laugh at you, and it is hard, okay? I'm like, I am here for you, man. I want to laugh, but all you're giving me is one-liners. There's, like, no setup. There's no build. It's just the punchline, and it's not funny. You think you're funny because you're here, but I, I can't laugh, right? That, that it's, it's a trait that requires someone else to recognize the thing that we see in ourselves, and that's true about beauty, that beauty is something that someone else has to see in us, we're desperate for. It's what we're working so hard for. What we're trying to cultivate and curate in our lives and in our identities as people. And in the midst of that, what Jesus says is, come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, and you will find the infinite relationship, the infinite desire for you that you are longing for. Come to me. Because here's what we know about our Jesus. Is that our Jesus was fully God and fully man. And that what he was doing in his work on the earth is he was coming to restore our relationship with God. And the Jesus who says, come to me, is the Jesus who hung on the cross and shouted, it is finished. The Jesus who shouted, to tell us die. It's done. It's complete. There is nothing left for you to do. There is no more work for you to earn your way back to relationship with God. There is nothing you have to do. It's done. So come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden and find rest. Do you hear the desire in Jesus' voice? Come to me. It's an invitation to relationship. And he's looking at you and saying, I desire to spend time with you. And not the you that you think people want to spend time with. The me who is weary and heavy laden is not the me that I want to take to parties, right? That is the me that I spend time trying to get over before I go to a party. It's the me that I spend time avoiding in my own life. And Jesus says, no, that you, the real you, that, bring that you to me because I desire to be with the real you. You who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and find rest. Because I find you beautiful. I delight in you. But in this relationship, it's the place that we can be fully known and fully loved. And that fully loved can sound kind of so southern, like bless your heart, loved. No, no, this is the kind of love where Jesus looks at you and says, I actually enjoy you. I like you. I want to be with you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. That in coming to Jesus, in coming into relationship with him, we find ourselves in relationship with the one who has infinite desire, the only one capable of meeting that need in us, and so we can finally rest. Because there is nothing left for us to do. We are free to stop. Stop. Just stop. All of the striving, you can stop to come to him and find the rest that you are craving in your soul.
And that, that word, to telestai, it is finished. That Greek uh, translation of what Jesus says on the cross, that's the same word that shows up in the Greek translation of our passage. It is finished. That God, when he finishes the work of creation, it's finished, to telestai. Jesus on the cross with the work of redemption, it's finished. Just tell us, die. There's nothing more for you to do. In the same way that God finishes that work on the seventh day, he's delighting in Adam and Eve. And think with me for a minute, the, the first day that they experienced in creation, which day was it? Which day did they experience first? The seventh day. They're created on the sixth day. Their first full day of experience, their first day on the job is the seventh day. It's not being on the job at all. The first day that Adam and Eve walk into is the day of rest, the day where they experience God delighting over his creation, which includes God delighting in them. Before they had done anything, before they had lifted a finger, that they beheld beauty when they were looking at God, when they were looking out at his creation, and they beheld him beholding them. That was their first experience, and that is the kind of rest, the kind of joy that we are called into. Of Jesus saying, it's finished, redemption is finished, so now come and rest with me. Come and enjoy me and be enjoyed by me. Okay, now it's really tempting to end the sermon right there, right? That feels good. Okay, but how do we live that out, right? What are the handholds that we got to put to this idea of rest? How do we go about resting in our lives? We're talking about a, a, kind of a few different ways of thinking about how we approach rest. Uh, one of them is in repentance. Uh, one of the things that we spend so much time uh, striving for in our own lives. Some of the, one of the places that we expend so much energy is in our hiding from our own sin. We can burn a lot of background energy doing that, can't we? All the things we are trying to not think about or admit to ourselves that we've done. And repentance is coming before Jesus and saying, I'm, I'm ceasing from that. From all of the self-protection that I constantly engage in, I'm ceasing from that. I'm bringing my sin before you and I'm saying, Father, forgive me. We talk about repentance in this series being a key part of how we experience revival. Having new life breathed into us and it starts in this place of acknowledging the place of our great need of our sin. Of us acknowledging before God, God, there are so many places that I am refusing to rest so many places that I'm trying to earn love from you or from the people around me. God, I'm sorry. And having those things exposed in our hearts, it can be incredibly painful, and yet it's the kind of pain that invites beauty and rest into our lives. But we participate in rest as we repent and then hear God singing his delight over us that we get to participate in rest. We get the opportunity to participate in rest uh, every time we are tempted to choose distraction. Like 
It's one of the reasons I think I've read so many books in the last year is that I finally got a Kindle, which means I can take my distraction with me wherever I'm going. I never have to be alone with myself because I can have a book there. Because of the pain that's, that, that, that so often consumes our lives, it's a regular part of being a human. It's woven into the fabric of, of, our, of our existence. And our tendency so often is to avoid that pain, to think that what I really need, that what rest really looks like is scrolling on my phone, is turning on my Kindle, is look, I was going to say watching the news. Who watches the news? No one does that. You know the places that you go to distract yourself, to get away from the pain. That one of the ways, that one of the places that God invites us to rest is in those places that we're seeking distraction and choosing in that moment to set aside the distraction and to be quiet with ourselves and with God. To recognize that in the place of that pain that God is with us. And that even in that place we're loved, we're known, you're seen, you're cared for, you're comforted. You're even enjoyed. Stop and rest. Stop and behold and be beheld. One of the other places God invites us into resting is in this discipline of practicing the Sabbath. Whoa, right? I don't know about that. All of this, like, Jesus cares for me, I can rest with him, that sounds great, but now you want to tell me there's something I need to, like, stop doing in my actual day-to-day life. Remember we talked about how the Israelites had this dysfunctional relationship with work, right? And in the midst of that, God tells them a story. He tells them a story about him resting, and he invites them into resting themselves. He gives them permission to rest, that rest existed before the fall. It's woven into the fabric of creation. And so in giving them this story, God is saying, guys, rest is a good thing. Come and participate in it. When we get to the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I just wasn't as productive as I wanted to be. I feel so bad about myself. God's saying, no, that rest is a good thing. He's inviting his people into it. He's giving them permission. But he recognizes that him giving them permission to rest is not enough. And so what happens in Exodus is he commands them to rest. He knows you won't take this gift that I'm giving you, so I'm going to command you to take it. And not just you, by the way. I'm going to command it for the people who work for you. Have you got servants in your house? They got to rest too. Your animals have to rest. That is how integrated rest is into the fabric of creation, that God would say everyone needs to rest, even our animals. Everything that's involved in working needs to rest. Jesus commands his people, rest, take up this gift that I've given you. We can read all of the rules about the Sabbath. You know, if you're doing your Bible reading plan and you're in Exodus right now because it's February and you're like, what are these laws about? It's because the people who, who God was giving these laws to had no idea how to do it. He's saying, let me help you. Let me teach you what it means to take advantage of this rest that I've invited you into. We have received the same command to rest. And it's actually, we, when we read through the table of the Ten Commandments, you're like, well, killing, you know, that's important. And there's like a morality to killing. We don't look at people who are like, well, you don't kill. Well, you know, that's just legalism. No, that's a good thing, right? There's like a moral truth associated with the not killing. It's the same with resting. That when we rest, what we acknowledge is I have limits. I'm saying, God, you are God and I am not God. There's a moral component to our resting, 
We've received the command to rest, and yet we have not given ourselves the permission to live into God's command. So here it is. You can stop. Would you give yourself permission to obey God and to stop? Once a week, to stop. Okay, now I know you have a lot of questions, right? Because I know I do. In my family, we were trying to figure out what the heck this looks like. And I will tell you, with three little kids, sometimes it's very hard. My, like, my idea of resting is like quiet, cup of coffee, what it will be like when they are all out of the home. <laughs> but that day is not today. And I will just remind you very gently that the Israelites also had kids, guys. Okay, they know. So what we're coming to God and asking is saying, Lord, you, you, he's taught us, right, that what rest is, it's, it's stopping and it's starting. It's stopping the work and it's, it's beholding the beauty of what God has created. Beholding the beauty of what God has created in the faces of the people who are in front of us, in, in the, his created world around us. It's even being able to, huh, about the work that he has called us to and appreciating the good in that. And it, doesn't, it, and it does include uh, beholding his beauty. That's why, as a, as a church, like the church across space and time, right, uh, we've chosen as a community to rest on Sundays because this is the day that we worship together. And worship is a part of that rest. It's refreshing to us. It reminds us of the beauty of what God has done in not only our stories, but in our story in this corporate uh, receiving of, of redemption. So what does that look like? Man, get creative with it. If those are our guidelines, stop and start beholding God's beauty. Have fun. We're, we're trying to do it from like an evening time, maybe like a post-nap in the afternoon to like post-nap on the other day, which like gives us time to have a fun meal and like invite our friends over and eat dessert, you know, to wake up and just have it be slower, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't to be able to worship together, to appreciate who God is. And then at the end of the day, uh, to have the time that we need to reset and get ready for what's next. And that in doing so, we'd be receiving God's invitation to live out of what is already true. That you and I, if, if we're in Christ, what's true is that you've received rest. That your soul can be at rest. Would you come to him day by day, hour by hour, to partake of the rest that he's offering to you. And when we as a people become a people who are weaving that rhythm of rest into our lives, who are taking a day a week to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to stop and appreciate who God is, and we're going to, in our patterns and liturgies, our rhythms of living, uh, acknowledge the rest that he has brought to our souls. Is that not one of the greatest testimonies we could give to the people around us? to be a people who would cease, who would stop, who would learn to rest well and appreciate the beauty of what God has created out in the world, in ourselves and in each other. So we're going to worship now toward that end. We're going to have a chance to praise God for his finished work, to, to sing about what it means to rest in God's goodness and to respond in our identity then as his children, as beauty creators out in the world. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that you would uh, still our hearts even now. Lord, would you give us the grace 
uh, to receive uh, to receive your rest. Lord, you know our hearts, our minds, uh, our sin and our shame, the things that, that are constantly uh, keeping us from you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be exposing those things, showing us where to repent of them, Lord, that you'd be meeting us and that we would experience, even this morning as we worship, the joy of being rejoiced over by you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.